1: In late February this year, Joe Biden's long career in politics stood on the brink. The left-winger Bernie Sanders threatened to run away with the Democratic Party nomination. Biden's campaign was written off after coming fourth and fifth in Iowa and New Hampshire. A fresh-faced Pete Buttigieg from South Bend, Indiana, had emerged as the best spokesman for the party's centrist establishment. But that was before the race moved to South Carolina, and there everything changed after an endorsement from veteran Congressman Jim Clyburn. We know Joe, and Joe knows us, he said. Well, Biden won that primary handsomely and rode the resulting momentum through Super Tuesday all the way to his presidential election win last week. You're listening to The Economist Asks. I'm Anne McElvoy, and this week we're asking Can Joe Biden heal America? In over 50 years in South Carolina democratic politics, Jim Clyburn's reputation as kingmaker has never been stronger. His initiation into politics came as a student during the civil rights era when police shot and killed demonstrators at South Carolina State University. In 1993, he became the state's first black congressman since the Reconstruction era after the Civil War. Former President Barack Obama once said Clyburn was one of a handful of people who, when they speak, the entire Congress listens. But is that still true? Post-election America is deeply divided, and so is the Democratic Party. And Congressman Clyburn has suggested that activist slogans like defund the police over the summer cost the Democrats at the polls. Jim Clyburn, welcome to The Economist Asks.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: So let's start With that game-changing endorsement, were you planning to support Joe Biden when the road to to the White House lay open? Yes, I
0: had always planned to vote for Joe Biden. I never uh, quite got to how uh, I would go about an endorsement. Uh, My uh, late wife passed away about six months uh, before the South Carolina primary. And she was very political. Never ran for anything, but very supportive. And she was a big fan of Joe Biden. And while she uh, really uh, succumbing to diabetes, uh, we talked about uh, the campaign. We talked about the various candidates, and she just thought that Joe Biden uh, would be the best choice uh, for Democrats. And of course. Um, Uh, I understood that. And then really the Friday before uh, the South Carolina uh, debate, uh, which was, I believe, the 26th of February, I encountered a lady at a church in the rural part of my district who uh, asked me, who was I going to vote for? Uh, And it was kind of interesting because she said to me, If you don't want anybody else to hear the answer, lean down and whisper it in my ear. I did what she asked me to do, uh, but when she snapped her head back uh, after I told her I was gonna vote for Joe Biden, she said to me that I needed to hear that and this community needs to hear from you. So those two things led me to give the kind of endorsement I did when I did.
1: And your most famous line when you endorsed Joe Biden publicly, as opposed to uh, whispering it in, in someone's ear, leaning, in, leaning into a lot more people, uh, shall we say, was this. You said, we know Joe, but more importantly, Joe knows us. I'm curious as to what that means in practice once he's president. And a lot more people need to feel that Joe Biden knows them. Well,
0: um, I think a lot of people feel that even when they don't admit it. My dad used to tell me all the time that uh, experience is the best teacher. Uh, When I wrote my memoirs, I called it Blessed Experiences. And I said in the book, in the uh, introduction, that um, all of my experiences have not been pleasant. But I have considered all of them to be blessings. Blessings that you live by and you learn from. And Joe Biden has a kind of background, the kind of experiences that I felt It makes him one of us, people who have had those kinds of challenges in their lives. And when you overcome those kinds of things, the death of a wife and a child at the age of 29, just after being elected uh, to the United States Senate, suffering through two aneurysms, all of that while still struggling to overcome stuttering uh, as a child. And he still battles stuttering. These kinds of things make you sensitive and empathetic. And that's what I meant when I said, most importantly, Joe knows us. Those of us who had suffered through indignities, and I have seen the indignities that stutterers suffer through. Those who've experienced the loss of a spouse or a child, these kinds of things uh, mold you. And that's what I meant.
1: Uh, describe the Joe Biden, you know, a bit. Uh, and I'm going to add a bit of challenge to that, uh, if I could, uh, Congressman, and say, tell us something that we might not know about him after some pretty intensive coverage in the last couple of weeks.
0: I don't know if I know anything about Joe that uh, is not out before the public, Um we used to talk a lot uh, early on about my experiences growing up in South Carolina, his experiences there in Delaware. Uh, both of us, I'm a little bit older uh, than he is, uh, but both of us grew up at a time when our states uh, were battling through separate but equal. Uh, the, um, uh, both our states were part of Brown v. Board of Education. And Joe and I uh, talked about that a lot. And so I've done a lot of research on this stuff. And Joe and I used to talk about it a whole lot. Uh, And um, I suspect that uh, during those discussions, uh, we became uh, pretty good friends.
1: Now, the big challenge, uh, apart from getting through a difficult time at which the election result is being contested by, by the Trump camp, but the direction of, of travel, I think, to most fair-minded people seems that Joe Biden has indeed won the election. But it does show the divisions in America very starkly, doesn't it? And where do you start to heal those divisions? I wonder whether you think we're setting up an impossible task for President Biden. I
0: don't know that it's impossible. Uh, the fact of the matter is, these are divisions visions that started 401 years ago, when blacks were first brought to this country, I might say, against their will. And that is pretty much how uh, our society uh, in this country has been built. One built upon a pillow uh, of whites who came to this country on their own, in search of freedom, uh, looking for uh, their own uh, sense of self-determination and Blacks who came to this country against their will, in changed and enslaved, uh, and never being able to pursue their uh, dreams and aspirations. And that lasted for 244 years in this country, 244 years of slavery, then another uh, 100 years uh, of apartheid. There's no other way to describe uh, separate but equal but uh, as apartheid. And then uh, all of a sudden you get a Supreme Court decision in 1954 that tend to dismantle all of this. And so there are going to always be people who resist that. And then all of a sudden you get a president who exacerbates it uh, and find some value in those uh, who oppose equality for all. Uh, So I don't know uh, if you ever get over it. You try to get leadership That will try to live by uh, the preamble to our Constitution, uh, which says, in pursuit of uh, a more perfect union. We need leaders who will continue the pursuit. That's what I call it.
1: You're answering absolutely reasonably in in terms of looking at that great sweep of history and racial divides and challenges. But another prism is simply to say, many thought that this would be a more decisive outcome. For the Democrats than it has turned out to be, and that shows that the divisions not only around race but also about politics, about visions for America, about the economy—you name it—run pretty deep. So I suppose that was the sense in which I wondered whether the expectations, a trope that's emerged as healing America, uh, Joe Biden has uh, has referenced it himself, sets up a particularly difficult task.
0: Well, the old adage I think plays well here. The journey of a thousand miles begin with a single step. Is an adage that John F. Kennedy uh, used to use a little bit. And that plays uh, out here as well. My expectations are to step back from the brink and try to find common ground upon which to move forward. That's, That's where we are. And there's not much you can do about that except try to make take the steps that are necessary uh, to get you where you need to be.
1: Let's talk about what they might look like and and what America would need to do to make progress on issues. What are the steps and what's the role of federal government in that?
0: Well, it it, it all depends on what area uh, that you're dealing with. You know, we can do more than one thing at once. Uh, There's an issue of economic uh, inequalities, uh, the lack of educational opportunities. Uh, We have to really tackle all of these things. And I'm, I think that what you have to do is uh, have a comprehensive program and with each one of those programs, you find out where uh, equity uh, can come into play. For instance, how do you get health care to people? How you get uh, people educated? Do we change our notion about what is in fact an educated person? And one of the things we gotta do here is uh, keep in mind The liberal arts is not the only way uh, to be educated. Uh, The lights in this building, you don't need a liberal arts degree to be an electrician or to be a bricklayer to build this building. Uh, The kinds of things we have gotten away from, allowing people to develop along their God-given skills. If someone has been given the skills uh, to be an electrician, why should we say, Uh, that you got to have a liberal arts education to do that. So you never hear me saying uh, we got to send our kids to college. All kids don't need to go to college to be successful. So there's a lot of things that we've got to do. We have allowed uh, this elitism uh, to seep into our thought process that we've got to get beyond.
1: But I must ask you, if we're looking at the the crunchy decisions that then have to be made, and if we look at something like affirmative action targeted at particular groups, do you think that is, broadly speaking, the way in which you would encourage uh, a Biden-led USA to go? Or would you say it's more effective politically to be race-blind and to target help at all poor Americans? Because there's a sense of white poor America feeling in some way that it gets missed out when affirmative action and similar programmes are uh, focused uh, on ethnic criteria?
0: I've spent almost 50 years dealing with that question. And I have uh, uh, developed, and it's now been adopted by the Biden administration. And I was told by his, uh, uh, the people working on this transition that they are doing this throughout the government. And that is a little formula that I came up with back in 2009 that I call 10, 20, 30. Now, what does that mean? Our Census Bureau has decided that any community uh, where uh, 20% or more of the population has been stuck beneath the poverty level for the last 30 years is a persistent poverty community. And so what I have been saying, and with some success recently, when we appropriate monies, we ought to stipulate that these resources should be targeted into these persistent poverty communities. And at least 10%, at least 10% of all the monies appropriated here should go where in those communities where 20% or more of the population has been stuck beneath the poverty line for 30 years or more. And I believe that's not uh, race. That's condition. And if you go into, uh, say, Kentucky or West Virginia, those would not be black people. They'll be white people. Now, a lot of people would rather use terms uh, that are uh, make good headlines. I'm not interested in that. I think 10, 20, 30 is as good a headline as affirmative action.
1: Let's talk a, a, about the election result and the, the demographics which have, have led to the result that we have. Why do you think that, that Donald Trump has done a bit better with African-Americans this time than in 2016? And he indeed also fared pretty well uh, with, with other minorities, ethnic minorities that Democrats might have hoped to, to win more votes from. What, what do you think lies behind that?
0: Well, you know, I'm not just sure that's true. And I've got my own way of making those determinations. And, uh, you know, I don't know what this polling is all about. And I don't know why people will take that part of any poll and say that is so accurate. When Wisconsin was showing uh, that Joe Biden was winning by 11 points. And this we're talking about four or five days before the election, he was winning Wisconsin by 11 points. That's not the case. And so I don't think it's the case. Uh, that he, the, there was an increase in black support uh, for uh, Donald Trump, and I believe that one moment.
1: Well, I, th- I think I mean, like it's early days, isn't it, to do these Democratic dives? But we have done some in our our reporting, and this is from, from uh, our article on that. Democrats fared less well than expected among young African American men and Hispanic voters in Florida, and. Texas. And the challenge from that is not to say, of course, in different places, it won't be place specific as you reflect, but that America becoming less white, more suburban doesn't necessarily mean that that benefits the Democrats. That might be my underlying thought. Uh,
0: Those polls were so-called exit polls.
1: Yeah, they they tend to have a reasonable degree of accuracy. Okay,
0: if you got 80% of the people in my precinct voted before election day, and not a single person I've talked to was asked a single question by a pollster. So if you, you are do an exit polls on election day, you're only polling 20% of the people that voted in my precinct.
1: Let, let's talk more, more broadly about what will, will now happen and also, of course, the challenges for for the Democrats. And you've talked about discussing the defund the police slogan with the late civil rights leader and congressman, uh, John Lewis. and You said that he would never have said defund the police. But with his passing, is a more measured civil rights era and way of talking about civil rights gone?
0: Well, not only did I say that, John Lewis said it. I wish people would just look at the records. John Lewis and I both spoke out against this term, defund the police, way back earlier this year. We both sat on the House floor to talk about this. And we felt uh, that we lost our movement back in the 60s because of a slogan, Burn, baby, burn. And that is what undermined what we were doing. And he felt, like I felt, that defund the police had the uh, possibility of doing the same thing to the Black Lives Matter movement that we support so much.
1: Do you think that the defund the police slogan cost the Democrats votes with some groups in the election?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you know, look, I, I saw the TV ads. I've talked to a company, uh, some of the uh, uh, people who lost. I talked to Donald and just several days after the election. Uh, I was on the line with um, Van Berger, and that's what they say. Uh, Jamie Harrison here, running for the Senate. That's what he says. So I, I wonder why people sit in ivory towers and tell me, I don't know what I'm talking about, and I'm sitting here every day uh, feeling it.
1: Well, this also takes us to, to the argument that is, I think, beginning to, to take off already. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, progressive congresswoman you, you know well, says anyone who worked for Donald Trump should effectively be, be cancelled. She talked about archiving these Trump sycophants. It's a, it's a winning phrase, isn't it? And a lot of people, uh, particularly on the left, will agree with her.
0: Well, they're free to agree with that. And I'm free not to agree.
1: So she's talking about preventing them working in Washington politics and, in, I guess, in putting words in her mouth in prominent public roles again. If you're free to disagree, what are the grounds on which you disagree?
0: Because I do not believe uh, in punitive action of innocent. I, I, just, I, I don't believe in subtraction when it comes to politics. I believe in addition.
1: But that does seem to be a bit of a dividing line, doesn't it? Which is, what is the right way to get past the legacy of the Trump years? She, I guess, is claiming that a lot of people at the last moment who were somewhat opportunistic but may have funded Donald Trump, they may have gone along with some of his more pernicious policies, so that you need a clearer line, a clear red line.
0: Well, you know, I think we just have to look at people, take everybody on their own, A lot of people uh, work because they need to work. Some people work because they want to push an agenda. And I could agree. Uh, There are some people in the White House who I think uh, maybe ought to be uh, in somebody's prison. My whole thing is, uh, I do not believe uh, in conviction by association.
1: How will Joe Biden work with progressive Democrats who use slogans like that, that's archiving the the, the the Trumpians or defund the police, all these kind of hot and more kind of radical asks. Uh, how on earth does Joe Biden, arguing from the centre with, I think, the support of people like you, how does he deal with them? And where does he draw the line between making this an inclusive broad church on the left and centre-left and saying, so far and... No further to people like AOC.
0: I think he does what I I just laid out. Uh, Follow the proposal he laid out. Uh, These are people who bought in uh, to uh, his platform. He needs to uh, uh, deliver on that platform. And I think that um, uh, he will be in a pretty good place uh, with all elements of the party. You know, uh, I don't know that you have to always agree. I stayed married to the same woman for 58 years. We had significant disagreements, and we worked through those disagreements. So I don't understand all the stuff that you got to always agree. You don't have to always agree. In fact, if you always agree, there will be no growth. And so we learn from each other. And so uh, uh, I'm sensitive to the so-called progressive thought, and I'm sensitive to the uh, conservative thought my father was very conservative. He was a minister, but he never asked his congregations uh, to give conservatively uh, when he asked for an offering. He always asked for a liberal offering.
1: G- give us your uh, your bet for how the, the Senate is going to work out. Uh, no Democratic challenger this month has captured a Republican held Senate seat in a state that backed Donald Trump in the presidential race. It does mean that the, the Senate looks like a very... Shaky outlook for the Democratic Party?
0: It does look that way. Uh, but I, I still live on adages uh, that the uh, darkest point of the night is that moment just before dawn.
1: So you, your point was that you, it's not over yet. It's not over by the shouting, really. No,
0: we'll see uh, what happens. Uh, the fact of the matter is, uh, it, it looks as if um, uh, Biden is leading in Georgia. Uh, by thirteen thousand votes uh, that's an indication uh, that um, we can win remember uh, there were multiple candidates in all those races. Now it's down to one on one
1: How much would you give me in a in a, a bet on the Democrats winning the Senate?
0: I won't bet on it at all. Uh, uh, I think we got a chance to win uh, and I'm going to work on winning uh, and whatever money I got. Uh, I'm going to invest it in winning.
1: How much do you think Joe Biden can accomplish, even with a divided Congress? I mean, there's a lot of talk about him having his hands tied. I
0: don't know. It, it, uh, Joe Biden is a different uh, person uh, from uh, Barack Obama. Uh, Barack Obama used Joe Biden quite a bit. Uh, when he was trying to uh, get the Affordable Care Act passed, when he was trying to get the uh, Recovery Act uh, passed and implemented. Uh, he used Joe Biden. So Joe Biden, if he did it for Obama, he ought to be able to do it for himself.
1: We we haven't touched on the role of the vice president elect Kamala Harris. You said you were very, very moved uh, at her gaining that position. Of course, it, it's it's a bit of a double edged sword, isn't it? Because it does push her towards being an icon of a kind of identity politics by by virtue simply of her skin colour. And that seems to bring with it many more challenges and sometimes challenges people of colour would probably rather think I really would rather just get on with my day job. How do you think she'll handle that?
0: I don't know how she'll handle it, but I know how I handle it. I've been only black many times. The first black many times. So what you do is do the best job that you can and do what she said the other night. She said, I may be the first woman to be in this position, but I will not be the last. That means she intended to conduct herself in such a way that people will proudly accept a second and a third uh, woman in that position. Uh, That's what you do. So um, I don't think that um, uh, we ought to waste a lot of time with that. Look, how long have people been denied because of their gender or their skin color? So if all of a sudden you're being accepted because of your gender and your skin colour, that'll be all right.
1: We haven't touched on the coronavirus crisis. And just as we we come towards the end, we we must uh, do so. Uh, We know that there's been very literal federal coordination at all of COVID response under Donald Trump. I would assume your view of that is pretty critical. States have had to formulate their own plans. How does a Biden presidency go about changing this without, shall we say, imposing things at federal level that states may rightly or wrongly think, we don't want to go this way. We want to set different priorities. What, to your mind, is the, the balance?
0: I don't know. We have to first put together a national plan. We've never had one. We've encouraged states to go their own way uh, because the president refused to put together a national plan. Joe will put one together. Uh, and when he does... We'd have to see how states buy into it. Uh, so I had no idea how states will accept it. We still have red states and blue states, unfortunately. We'll see. I don't know.
1: And if he runs into resistance on issues like mask mandates, what should he do? I mean, is it the moment at the start when you have political capital to say, kind of my way or, or the highway or on this one, that balance between listening to the states... Uh, or perhaps saying that this is the moment for the centre to become much more decisive, which which way do you lead?
0: I think Joe was lead by precept and example. You lay out the precepts and you give people examples to follow. That's going to be the difference. And I think you'll see people adhering to his precepts because they'll see him demonstrating uh, by his example.
1: I have a splendidly tactless question to ask you, Congressman. and it, it's this. Are, are politicians, the top tier, getting too old with three of the most powerful in America? At the moment we have Joe Biden, president-elect. Joe Biden, 77, Nancy Pelosi, speaker of the House of Representatives, is 80, Mitch McConnell, the Senate majority leader, is 78. Gosh, I mean, all power to political longevity. But do you think that politicians should continue in their later decades or, some might say, make room for the next lot. Well,
0: I'll tell you, like i told uh, a lot of other reporters, I wish y'all spent a little time dealing with the issues that kept me from getting here until I got here.
1: So the age, age doesn't matter.
0: All I am going to say is most white folks get elected to Congress in their 20s. I was not allowed to get elected to Congress until I was in my 50s. Let's spend a little time
1: working on that issue. Congressman Clyburn, thank you very much indeed for joining us today. Thank you. And we'd love to know what you think. Are America's politicians getting, well, past their rave-by dates? Or is Joe Biden at 77 a relative young'un? And Donald Trump at 74 was not much behind him. Write to us, radio at economist.com, or you can tweet us at economistradio.com tell us what you think it would take to heal that divided America. And where should a new president start? For your best introductory offer to all of our coverage on this election and what lies beyond, go to economist.com slash podcast offer. The link is in the show notes as always. I'm Anne McElvoy. And in London, this is The Economist.